Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy to use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years. And we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Build a Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction. And we are on board. To learn more about how Build a Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, Visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build a Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. Don't miss the Contractors Coalition Summit. You can go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com and join us in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th. This is going to be an incredible event. Again, for all of you builders and designers looking to take your business to the next level to learn about all things, systems, organization, pricing, social media, marketing, how to be a better business owner, all the things that we wish we knew as early business owners many years ago. We're going to speak about that. Also give you a Dropbox with all the content, including contracts and other documents that we're using, as well as KPIs, keeper performance indicator. So don't miss it. It's a huge opportunity. Some amazing vendors will be there as well that you can network with. So again, Wednesday, May 15th through Sunday, May 19th, 2024 in Minneapolis, go to contractorscoalitionsummit.com. Typically the first place I start from a profitability standpoint on growth is let's look at revenue. What's my pricing like? Have I raised prices recently? How am I compared to my competitors? What is the industry like? Am I able to kind of maximize the amount of money that's coming in? Okay, this is a podcast I've been looking forward to for a long time. So welcome, Jared. Hey, thank you. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so we have Jared Westergaard. He is the co-founder and managing partner of Sonoran Business Advisors. And something that, you know, over the years I've been doing the podcast, I haven't spent enough time is the financial aspect. You know, we've grazed upon it, touched upon it, but bringing you on, Jared, kind of changes this because one of the, it's funny, I think I heard this from Mark Williams, who I've had on before, a friend of mine, and he says, you know, um, a bad contractor who's good at business will always be in business, but a good contractor who's bad at business will never succeed, right? So essentially, you know, at the core, it's business, right? We have to understand operations and financials and, you know, the reputations of us builders are typically the weakest when it comes to the financial side. And I know that's your strong suit, Jared, from working with so many builders in our network. So maybe we start here. When you look at accounting processes that a construction company should have, um, what, what's priority? What should they have dialed in to start with? You know, I think that's a great question. You're right. You know, when you're looking at accounting processes, I think some of the key areas or issues that I've seen that have caused problems in the past are when there's unknowns. And so, you know, from a, when a business owner or um, you know, perhaps an executive or somebody just doesn't have an answer to a question that may arise from, you know, hey, what's our overhead? What, what's our burn rate? What am I going to make next year? Um, what did I make this year? Uh, you know, and so having those type of unknowns or questions, a lot of times kind of creates frustrations and confusion. And so from my end, you know, typically what I... I like to tell people is, you know, the more information that you can have, the the better you're going to be prepared to make decisions that are you know timely, that are appropriate, and that will allow you to kind of take that next step for whatever it may be that you need to do. But um, I don't know if that answers, but I mean that's kind of you know what I think from from that that perspective. When you speak about the unknowns, which I can relate to, I think many of us, I know, early on in my career. You only know what you know, right? And so as you're looking at this, you you may not fully understand burden rates. You may not fully understand what every employee costs you, when to hire, right? You, When you speak of unknowns, what are specifically to construction you're dealing with? Are there examples of where customers just aren't aware that they're not sure when to hire because they're not really sure on on 
you know, their, their monthly income. They're not sure. And, and I know this maybe ties in like bank re- reconciliations where they may have deposits. And so they may look at their account thinking, Hey, I'm pretty cash, you know, heavy right now because I have these deposits without realizing these are liabilities. And so they may be over excited about the money in the account, not realizing that this is accounted for, and they may not be making as much profit as they thought. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You know, it's, it's a lot of the unforeseen or unplanned expenses, right? And so it's, it's going into um, a situation where maybe, um, you know, you have a an expense that, that comes up that, hey, look, let let's, let's look at, um, you know, sales tax, for example, or um, insurance, you know, from a contractor standpoint, when you may have, you know, budgets or different things that you're trying to adhere to and follow, you know, the, all, the questions are always, well, are my projections including all those additional expenses that I'm going to have to pay? So for my revenue, when that's coming in, am I calculating sales tax on top of that revenue or is my sales tax being, you know, a, is it being calculated less that revenue. And so I think those are some of the unknowns, at least from the business side where, you know, as business owners and whoever it may be, if they have those answers in front of them readily available, it allows them to kind of project a little bit better, you know, and try to forecast those unknowns. A lot of the time, you know, from, it can be in a number of different ways you know, there could be unsuspected or, um, you know, it could be, hey, we didn't anticipate growing this fast. So we had to go out and hire three or four people this year. And with that comes an additional overhead and benefits and, and different things on that end. And so I think, you know, as if you can kind of dial in those unforeseen and unexpected costs and try to eliminate those or at least try to account for them, I guess would be, probably be a better word. That helps a ton. I mean, it just goes, uh, it goes a long way. Well, maybe walk through that complication. You mentioned taxes, which I think is kind of interesting because for a point of reference in Arizona, you know, when you're doing a remodel, you're paying taxes on point of sale. So you're paying wherever the, the materials purchased. So in Scottsdale it could be 8.05%. It could be different in Gilbert, could be different in Surprise or Phoenix. When you're doing general contracting work, you have an adjusted rate at 65% of the tax rate and you're paying out material and labor. So how, how can, if, if a builder doesn't understand, first off, the tax code, how it relates to them, and then they don't understand how they should be charging it, especially on a monthly billing, whether they're lump sum, whether they're cost plus, you know, how that can impact them for either paying too little taxes or they're paying too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it creates a cash flow issue, you know, one way or the other, whether it's, hey, look, I'm paying out too much money and I should have more in my pocket or, hey, I'm not getting enough to cover some of these costs. Um, you know, typically what I've seen as an example would be, um, you know, let's just take, you know, your, your typical budget or your typical uh, line item in a construction job. And so you may have uh, an estimate or a budget of a certain amount. Let's just call it landscaping and, you know, $50,000. Where the trouble comes in from a cash flow perspective is if somebody is saying, okay, hey, look, moving forward, $50,000 is what we have to spend. In reality, what you have to spend is the $50,000 plus the sales tax and plus, you know, if you're charging for any type of labor or if you have any overhead or anything that goes into that, depending on, you know, your contract and whatever you've you've agreed upon, there's an additional cost built into that $50,000. So although that hard cost may be $50,000, if you're not accounting for that and and adding that on top of that 50,000. Now you're out whatever those sales tax numbers are. You know, if, if you're coming back then and saying, Hey, look, we're going to calculate our sales tax on this 50 grand. Well, it's, we're going to reduce it and and deduct it from that 50. And now we're only making, you know, 40 something. Um, That's where you start to see some cash flow issues because uh, you, you know, your, your money, is being paid when you really could just keep it in the bank. But I, I, I think that's, that's a good example. Yeah, that, that's a really good example because if I break that down, if you say, okay, the client has $50,000 max that they're spending has to be all in, 
Well, truthfully, the client may be spending 40, maybe 35, maybe 30, mm-hmm. whatever that is, because you're building in overhead yeah. profit margin it, in a cost plus scenario on the flip side, the client may have 50,000. And if they're only looking at 50, their real cost may be 60 or 62 because you have to add in these other costs. And that's where if you're not being up front with the client, this can get out of hand really quickly as they're making decisions by not factoring in all the other costs, you know, including tax, because that 50,000 and by itself is essentially tax exempt, but you have to account for tax. And so it has to be added on one side or the other. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, yeah. Perfect. So how, how, how does WIP, you know, something that a lot of contractors struggle with, you know, this has been something that's been, you know, a focus of mine for a while now, especially being in my builder 20 is working on a really defined WIP, right? Work in progress mm-hmm. because again, th- th- this podcast is not going to be a tax strategy for end of year, Everyone, can be CPA, but, but there are advantages to understanding WIP and how that relates to profitability and to your company and end of year. And there's a lot of legalities behind it that you can consult with your CPA, but as far as just a month to month to know health profitability, as you mentioned, to have some unknowns cover to figure out, can I hire, can I go buy a truck, go buy a vehicle? Can I expand? How does WIP dictate profitability on a month to month and year to year level? Um, you know, there's, it really starts with uh, accurate records, I think. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, being able to calculate WIP is one thing, but being able to calculate WIP correctly is another and, and give you information that's actually, you know, reflective of operations. And so, you know, one of the real purposes of WIP is to kind of let you know at any given time where you stand. Uh, I always like to tell my clients, you know, it allows you from an accrual accounting perspective to to kind of forecast on your financials how much money you anticipate collecting over you know the next certain amount of time how much money you may have earned and or collected for these jobs up until that point in time and so you know forecasting okay well what are my potential liabilities what are am i in a, am i overbilled have i underbilled my clients where do I stand? And, and truly understanding that perspective makes a big difference. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen that like in your business of, you know, when it comes comes down to end of month or end of year, looking at WIP as a total kind of, if, if your billings aren't in accordance to where you feel like the project timeline is or, you know, with the work being done, that kind of can be a, a hindrance on what, you know, what you're trying to accomplish and it can kind of create complications with, you know, the, the, the owners or the banks or whatever it may be. If those, if those numbers aren't adding up or accurate. It's really insightful because as I've, you know, worked with yourself, Jared, others, you know, going through the whip specifically, I've seen how there has to be an exact mirror image, right. Of what's happening in the field to what we're showing on paper, because if not, that underbilling and overbilling can be exacerbated and, and and really create confusion on where we're really at. And this ties back into the bank reconciliation. We gave the example of deposits that if I'm overbilled, I may think I'm more cash free, and but I still have bills yeah. coming that I may not be aware of or at least be tracking. And, and that's where that WIP comes into play because now I can really track month by month profitability. And, and in fairness to WIP, there may be some months where you could be down, some that you could be up. But at the end, yeah. it helps you track overall for the year goal. Yeah, and you know, as a business owner too, it allows you to understand probably a little bit better. Okay, I have this amount of cash in the bank. What can I do with it? You know, if if you're saying, "Hey, look, I still have all these," um, if I'm overbilled and if I have a surplus in cash, and I still have some some tasks or projects to complete for these jobs, I know there's going to probably be an, some additional cost on my end that goes into that. So I think that helps you at least also from a cash perspective, be able to plan and know, okay, this is where I stand. And maybe I can use, you know, some funds in the bank if it's, if I need to buy another truck or if we need to hire, you know, additional personnel or, or whatever that may be. But I think it just gives you a little bit more insight as well. Maybe if you don't mind, Jared, break down, cause there's a couple of ways to do the accounting, right? You can do an accrual basis. You can do, mm-hmm you know, cash basis, maybe walk through pros and cons or really the separation there for those that may not be familiar. Yeah, no, for sure. 
So I feel like most companies, when they start out, most people, small businesses in general, start out on a cash basis, or what we call cash basis of accounting. And so typically cash basis, it's super simple. It breaks down everything from transaction date. So cash in, cash out. What day did I get it? What day did I spend it? Um, and so if you kind of break it down into that perspective, that kind of gives you an idea, at least from a financial statements you know, standpoint of, okay, these financial statements are reflective of a, at a certain amount of, you know, certain point in time. But the, I, I guess some of the cons that would go into cash accounting would be, well, what was, tr what was the, the period that I'm looking at? Um, what did it truly represent? What truly happened for the month? Let's just say the month of January. What, you know, from a company's perspective, what did we accomplish? You know, if there's, you know, are there are there any type of prepaid expenses that I had to come out of pocket for that maybe pertain to future dates down the road? Um, you know, were, was there a payroll that fell on you know February sixth that accounted for some days in January and a couple of days in February? So you know, there's there's those different questions from you know an owner's perspective that I think a lot of people have of okay, well, do I want to know? what truly happened for a, a given period or do am i comfortable with just recognizing things as they happen and so you know from a projection standpoint and from a growth standpoint i tell you typically as companies start to grow and as companies start to mature uh, there's usually a transformation from cash to accrual counting um, I, I just I, I personally feel like accrual counting just provides more detail um, you know, the balance sheet, I'm going to get a little uh, accounting nerd brain right now going into this, but from a balance sheet perspective, you know, when, when a company is keeping their books on an accrual basis, you have additional things on there that you can use uh, to report to, you know, a board or to other owners, uh, to banks, if they're looking for it, for example, like, you know, an accounts payable. Uh, an aging or what is our true accounts receivable at any given point? Um, we, I mentioned this already, but you know, prepaid expenses, are there expenses that I may have paid for in advance that, you know, should be recognized monthly throughout the year? Um, you know, there's just a bunch of different things that you can do from that perspective um, that when you're on a cash basis of accounting, you're not typically required to do or, or often do so. Do you ever see, it's interesting to bring that up because I, I feel with the flexibility, it's a must, I know we're accrual and you have to be, because when you have projects that are multi-year, you know, two, three-year projects, you're going over fiscal terms there. How feasible in your, opinion, in your opinion would it be for a contract to do cash accounting when they have long bandwidth projects? It, I mean, it can happen, I've seen it. Um, but it, it can cause headaches sometimes because, you know, from a liability standpoint, as you know, if a job goes south and if you haven't collected on money, um, you know, if, if people come back saying, hey, look, this, this wasn't done according to what we agreed on, you know, sometimes what can happen is it's like you have to either come out of pocket to front those differences or you're not going to be able to collect on on work that's been performed and so it's how do you track that how do you keep you know a project in your you know in your whip schedule and how do you keep the details of what's going on readily available to you at any given time and so that's i think one of the benefits of of going the accrual route um, it just provides more information for you to know truly okay what are my liabilities where do i stand how much money do i need to be collecting how much money am i owed um i don't know if that makes sense but i, I yeah. think that's probably where what i would say well i think it's it's a great example because for any builder that's kind of breaking this down as you think about it if you're doing co like cash flow accounting you may have a project that's going great through december okay we're gonna you know we're expecting this profit margin we you could have had a high month of billings in December just because of the stage phase of construction. So I'm looking great. Cash is coming in. I'm closing the books. Everything looks great. Then come March, 
you know, we have a really slow month, or as you mentioned, I'm not getting my final check because punch lists or legal issues or whatever. And then all of a sudden that profit margin changes. And now you may have paid taxes based on what you were projecting in yeah. December. You may have spent that money already on end of year stuff for you or your employees. And so that's where that carryover, you may count your eggs too soon in that basket before they hatch. Yeah. And you know, even from a reporting perspective, let's say, you know, we're at the end of the year and you're as a business owner trying to obtain funding, you're going to go to a bank, you're going to provide financial statements. You know, if on a cash basis, let's say you had a bunch of work that was done in November and December, it was billed out in December, but you didn't receive the cash or the payment until January. If you're on a cash basis of accounting, your financials are going to show that that revenue came in in January. And so when you're providing those year-end financials to a bank, you're going to have all those expenses that you incurred, you know, in November and December related to that job because you had to pay subs and other costs. But that revenue that came in, it's not recognized in that same year. So it's not a true kind of picture of what you actually did as a company in that time period. It's more of a matter of fact, you know, this is when we got the money in. Revenue is recognized in January because that's when it hit the bank versus you know, when we actually did the work and when we build for it. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Our clients have worked with the Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom Scottsdale on nearly every project. They make the process so easy for us and our customers with either an in-person or virtual consultation. They have dedicated consultants to answer questions, provide helpful solutions, and offer advice and assistance. When you are ready to embark on your kitchen journey, reach out to the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, Scottsdale, who will tailor an immersive, rewarding experience just for you in their stunning showroom. Gather ideas, ask questions, and imagine how your dream kitchen might come to life. All catered to you in a low-pressure and highly inspiring environment. View an array of options and see what they look like in full-size kitchen vignettes. And attend a chef-led demonstration to see and taste these appliances in action. Yeah, that's a really good example. As as you have worked with so many companies, Jared, over the years, do you feel that the point of struggle for builders specifically, is it more related to AP or AR? You know, I think they're interrelated, but I would say it starts with accounts payable. Um, just because I feel like from, from an accounts payable perspective, there's so much that goes into it, you know, being able to pay subs quickly to make sure work's getting done, being able to understand, okay, is this, is this cost, is this cost of sales? Is this administrative operating cost? Am I going to be able to bill the client for this, which, you know, then ties into your monthly billings or your, your billing schedule on the AR side. And so I feel like, you know, a lot of what happens in accounts payable affects, you know, AR, um, and, you know, for that reason, you know, being able to just have, you know, processes and procedures dialed into where, you know, hey, we're capturing everything that we're spending, you know, credit cards, um, if there's anything that's billable to a job, uh, you know, anything like that, being able to make sure that that's captured every month or, you know, every billing period allows you to then turn around from an AR side and say, you know, hey, look, we, we got to get paid for this. 
typically, I think most people probably are better off from an AR side, just because in order for a company to to run, you got to get paid, you know. And so, as a business owner myself, I know I'm always looking at, okay, who owes me money? <laughs> you know, what's going on? Like, I got to collect. And so, you know, that's at the top of my mind quite a bit. But I I feel like sometimes people can forget or be a little bit loose on the accounts payable side, which, you know, can affect you from a business perspective, just in a number of different ways, negatively as well. It's funny how as a business owner, you kind of mature, you know, understanding the AP side. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I'm, I'm cost plus. I've been pretty open about that here on the show and speak about that, especially with the complexity of projects. But where I've seen this has become incredibly complicated for my team and I is that if, if you don't have your AP dialed in for a lot of reasons, you mentioned credit cards, which are impactful because mm-hmm. if I have job related expenses that have to be factored in, if I, if I have invoices on hold, you know, we track on hold invoices and they could be on hold because subcontractors billing more than their contract. It could be change orders that were verbally approved or I shouldn't say verbally approved, but essentially approved, but not signed off. And so there's these different layers of mm-hmm. the AP side, but if you're not collecting all the AP in an organized way to understand these bills that are coming in. It's really hard to now take that information, digest it, put it in the AR to build a client because you and I can, yeah, make the phone call. Hey, yeah. you know, we're past seven days. We need our money. You got to feed the meter, but it's the AP that can get messy by decisions not being made, overlooked, receipts missing, everything that goes with it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I totally agree. So what about from a, do you find the same example? Cause I know for cost plus, I think it's pretty straightforward that AP is probably our biggest offender or at least something we have to manage the most cause everything's backed up and audited and sent to our clients. When you're working with builders that are lump sum, you know, paperwork's probably a little cleaner. And so AP may impact them just on making sure trades are paid to be on the site. How does that change mm-hmm. kind of the pendulum, you know, for them just maybe focusing more on AR as opposed to AP? Yeah, you know, it changes a little bit because um, obviously they want to make sure subs are paid, you know, work's getting done, people are happy, um, you know, from that from that standpoint. Um, but what usually tends to happen is, is if you're not accounting, you know, act, if, you're, if you don't have accurate records from the AP side from some of those lump sum projects, what you start to see as you come to the end now as a as a owner or as a business you're having to kind of cover a lot of those expenses instead of coming back and um you know running that back to the the client whether it's hey look there was leftover money that we we weren't able to bill um on the bank loan or um you know hey look the client can't come out of pocket what what we've incurred from a cost perspective there's a number of different things that go into play from from that end, and so I think even more from from you, you mentioned the lump sum side, having an accurate budget up front and an estimate of project cost really allows you to to kind of the, the more accurate and the and and the better you're able to predict those costs or at least stick to the budget throughout the project, the, the better off you're going to be from a profitability standpoint. As you're working with all these business owners, you know, I, I would imagine that every business owner has their own level of call it sophistication, understanding of accounting, retained earnings, balance sheets, you know, income statements. How important is it for an owner to, they may not be an account by trade, but how important should, should their, their understanding and, you know, how well versed should they be in understanding the financials when you're presenting information to them? Yeah. You know, it ranges. I think I've I've been lucky enough to work with a, a bunch of different types of people and owners of businesses. One of the reasons I, I started Sonoran was because of that. You know, I love I love business in general. I love the idea that there's so many different types of companies and industries and, and ways people can make money. Um, you know, one of my kind of taglines that I always tell people is focus on what you're good at and let us do the rest. Um, and the reason I say that is because a lot of times, you know, there's, there's business owners that are really good at getting out and, and selling or performing a, a specific 
type of work yet when it comes to the financial side it can be it can be daunting to look at a financial statement or a PL and understand what's cost of sales what's what's expenses what's what are my overhead calculations am i paying too much in payroll like what are you know all these different questions that go into it am i actually recording things correctly do i put a loan on the balance sheet or i put it on do i run it through the PL? like all these different questions and so one of the reasons i started sonoran was to kind of step in and and help business owners with that and say hey look you need to understand from you know these different angles what's going on on your business because if you don't then you're not going to be able to make those key decisions but you know all the detail that goes into creating these financials and to making sure things are recorded correctly let us take that off your shoulder and so i love to educate people especially all my clients i love to sit down with them and kind of help explain hey look this is what this means this is what gross profit means you know this and maybe and it probably differs you know from from industry to industry and the type of company you know some numbers are more important than others and so what are the numbers that you need to focus on you know if it's a very you know cost heavy company what are what are all the extra variable costs going into your financials every month how much are you spending on meals how much are you spending on you know stuff that that really isn't, you know, a fixed kind of operating cost per se. So, um, yeah, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And, and, and before we get back to that, you know, because that tagline's really interesting, I want to touch on that, but maybe walk through essentially how you got into being a fractional CFO. I mean, you have experience working as a CFO in, in house for a company I know and, you know, yeah. mutual friends of ours. So kind of what, what made you pull the trigger? What changed that journey and led you to where you are now? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So yeah, I out of college, I, I was in public accounting and auditing. And so I spent almost 10 years doing that, loved it and, and had a, a number of opportunities to continue down that path. But what I found was, you know, when I was out with clients, you know, performing audits or reviews or compilations or whatever it was, um, I was really intrigued from the standpoint of, um, how do these guys make money? How does the, you know, what do they do? What what do they do differently than their competitor? And I remember one of my managers when I first started at the firm that I was at told me, hey, as you go into this, put yourself in management's position and try to, you know, see the whole picture from their eyes. And so I used to always do that. And I used to love kind of taking that approach. And so you know, eventually, as I started to mature and grow and um, understand, I think the complexities that go into running a business more, I found myself gravitating more towards, you know, helping those managers. Excuse me, I'm gonna take a drink real quick. Yeah, you're good. So, um, you know, and that eventually led me to taking a position, like you mentioned, with um, a couple of friends of ours over at Green Mango. And they love them. They're just great group of guys and they have a bunch of stuff going on. And so, you know, under their platform, they had, you know, four or five entities that they were, that they owned, that they were running, that fed off of each other. And, you know, as CFO, I was kind of responsible for going through and making sure things were tied out, things were working from a financial side. And so eventually what I found was I loved doing that. I loved the complexities. I love the different like variety on a day to day basis. And I, excuse me. And I love like, I love exploring different ways to help these these companies, whether there was, you know, a pest control or whether it was a, a, a cleaning company or whether it was, you know, a, a detailing company or a solar company. These guys had built great businesses and I found myself really enjoying the variety. And so um, you know, a couple years later, we, I ended up deciding to kind of move on to the next stage and create Sonoran. And, um, the reasoning really was just because I wanted to continue to do that. And that kind of fed, you know, the, my, my drive, I, I would guess you would say to, to go out and, and, and reach out to small businesses, um, 
I mean, really any business of any size and, and kind of help them from a CFO side understand that, hey, look, even though you may not be able to hire a CFO or maybe you don't need a CFO full time, there's different things that that you know a CFO can provide from a strategy standpoint and a projection or a budgeting standpoint that that could help you. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's kind of transformed over the last couple of years since we started to adding more services, you know, controller services and bookkeeping services and different things like that. But that's really, I think what kind of fed my, um, my drive behind creating Sonoran and trying to kind of provide that service. How, how risky was it for you when you were, you know, you, you're in the auditing business, which you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of accounts will come out of college, you know, and they go work for the big four. They're, you know, they're pretty yeah. heavily in accounting. And I know there's this pivot point where, you know, to become a partner high in there, you really got to start closing deals and bringing the clients and, you know, but there's hours they bring you in, they kind of wind and dine you in the beginning. Yeah. It's, the, it's the best, you know, when they, at least when I spoke to they come out to the big four, they, they're like, we had the best recruiting trip is amazing. And then you get there and they're just grinding, you know, you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And, and there comes this pivot point where some go private and you end up going private. You end up working for an amazing up and coming firm that has done really well here in the Valley and has expanded. But again, there's, I think many of us, and maybe you had some exposure to, as you mentioned, working with businesses at the, you know, at the auditing firm, what, what makes you take the risk to say, I'm ready? I, I, because it's not like you had a book of business. You had been working for a company now, a private company for a while. So there, there's a lot of risk. And then as a fractional CFO, you're hiring staff, you you know, there's sales, there's yeah. all the complication, just like we have as, our, you know, running our business. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I can think of one example in particular when I, I first questioned, you know, my, I guess my future in public accounting, we had a client and we were out by the Dimeback spring training stadium and it was in March and excuse me. And I'm sitting in there and the window I'm looking out of as I'm working overseas Salt River Fields and I see this, the crowds pouring in, I see the <laughs> baseball game going. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I really wish I could go to that game right now. You know? <laughs> and, and it was a busy, it was a busy time of year. And don't get me wrong, the company was amazing. Love the company, love the people I work with, love the clients I work with. But Which real quick, if I interrupt you, it's funny because yeah, in March, you're not going to a baseball game. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. Tax and, and that's a Yeah, I mean, that's the question I asked myself. It was, hey, do I really envision myself doing this for the rest of my professional career? And I kept coming back to, I want to be flexible. I want to be taking clients to the spring training game. I want to be out there, you know, doing those type of things. And so I started to, that's kind of what I think spurred the idea in my mind of how, how could I create a profession using what I've learned. Don't get me wrong. I, I feel like there had to be a, a time of growth and learning, you know, at the firm. I had to get, I had to be in a position to where I knew what I was doing. I was confident enough to make that, that change and that leap and, and use kind of my, you know, education and experience to help me. But I think that's slowly what kind of started to spur the idea of, okay, how could I make a pivot and do something? Um, because like you said, you know, the path to partner, um, whether I wanted it or not, um, was probably available if I, if I really kind of buckled down and, and, and started to kind of focus hard on that, um, whether it was with that firm or, you know, some, somewhere else. But, um, I felt like, you know, for that, that, moment in time for me, I, I, I think that's when I made the decision that I was going to start to look at something different. And now going off on your own, finding your own clientele, who you could take to these spring training games, you know, how, what was there a moment in there where I think many entrepreneurs, did you ever question, like, did I make the right decision? You know, or maybe you just from right away, you're off to the races, you know, what, what did that look like that transition into starting your own business? Yeah, you know, I, I I still I still often sometimes have questions about you know, are, should we be doing something different? Should we be offering other types of services? Um, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, for a while it it was it's it was challenging. You know, just from starting a business, you probably know how this is. 
Um, and I would imagine a number of listeners on this podcast know how this is that when starting a business, you have a, a limited amount of income coming in, you know, and it's really up to you to grow it. But you also have expenses and as you grow, you, those expenses go up, payroll goes up, payroll is probably one of the biggest expenses for companies. And so one of the challenges from my, from my end was being able to still have, you know, the, the mindset of growing a business and being an entrepreneur. One of my favorite books, The E-Myth, talks about that and, you know, talks about how, you know, keeping that hat on as an entrepreneur rather than kind of going backwards and continuing to just be, you know, the worker bee. And, and, and when you start a company, you kind of have to, you know, you have to do both. Um, and then, so as you grow, it's how do I manage my clients and how do I give them, you know, uh, an equal amount of time to make sure that they're happy while also going out and, and bringing in sales and trying to get new clients, um, and hiring employees and finding people that are qualified to do the work. You know, there's so many things that go into it. And so, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, there were uh, there probably a number of times when I said, you know, it'd be so much easier if I just went back into industry and had a job where I could just show up and, and, and work. But, um, I, I, I love what I do. And so it's been great. It's, it's just been awesome. And I feel like we're in a position now to where, you know, Personally, I see a lot of success when it comes to, and I feel, you know, a lot of gratification when it comes to, you know, seeing clients um, progress and seeing how they benefit from kind of some of the things that we help them learn and, and see and do for them. And so it's just been super rewarding. What's interesting about just having this conversation is, you know, I think one of my biggest struggles when I started my company, I think many young builders designers, architects could relate that it's really hard to understand, you know, your value as opposed to what you charge, as opposed to forecasting growth. Right. And yeah. and you alluded to this, that when you're hiring employees, well now, I mean, yeah, you're making a little bit of money, whatever that is, or bringing them some revenue, but now you got to expand, you got to hire, you have to, you know, and that, that changes the complexity of your business at this time. So going back to that, one of my biggest challenges with knowing what to charge, what do I charge, you know, for a project? What's my markup, you know, cause you really don't understand your cost for you as a fractional CFO, you're essentially, um, you know, you're overseeing many operations, not just me yeah. here at AFT that we'll get into, I'm sure here in a little bit, but you oversee a lot of companies. And so hiring is really important to you because you got to make sure this arm of Jared, who's out conversing with myself and other business owners, are they competent and qualified and do they have the same understanding and forecasting and then you also have to know what to charge so that you're covering your net and you know your overhead. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, and, and I think it really starts with the overall vision of, you know, management and ownership of, okay, where do you want to be on a monthly or annual basis? How much money, how much money do you want to make? Do you, what's, what's your goal? Do you, you know, I have some clients who are, I want to give everything that I can to my employees, you know, I want to give to, I want to give as much as I can back to them. There, there's other clients that are very much focused on, Hey, look, we have a goal of building this up. Uh, and in three or four years, we intend to sell the company. And so we're trying to make this as big as possible. We're trying to save as much money as possible. You know, other clients, Hey, look, we're, we're looking to, to expand. We need to open a new location, you know, whatever the, the case may be. <laughs> Um, I think it starts with that overall vision and goal. And so, um, you know, just trying to, you know, look at, okay, well, what's the next step? How, how do you get there? How do we break it down for you to make it, you know, easier to understand? Um, and then it's, it really is having confidence in, in your people, you know, to, to just perform and to, uh, to get the work done both, you know, for me on, on my side internally, and then on, on my client's side to, to also trust in them that they, you know, they're going to be able to learn and, and adapt and, and do things as, you know, as we kind of guide them and consult them. Uh, it's so interesting because this kind of ties into a couple aspects. I, I, I think many companies would come to you to some extent and say, okay, Jared, you know, as I'm looking at my overhead, you know, where, where are areas that I could focus on 
to save money, but it be, could be different reasons. And essentially you alluded to, maybe a company's looking on an exit strategy in a couple of years. So they're EBITDA, right? They're really trying to track, mm-hmm. you know, keeping retained earnings and looking at the financial wherewithal. So they're cutting expenses. And so you're going to give them guidance. So it's probably a broader question in the sense when, when a company's looking at, hey, how can I be more profitable or save money? Essentially, how does that tie into the goals of the individual and company and, you know, their growth strategies? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, I I think typically the first place I start from a profitability standpoint on growth is let's look at revenue. Um, a lot of times I would say most of my clients are already maximizing the amount of revenue that they can get from their customers. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can adjust that. And so that, that would be the first place I'd start is, okay, what's my pricing like? Have I raised prices recently? Um, how, how am I compared to my competitors? What is the industry like? Um, am I able to kind of maximize the amount of money that's coming in? So those would be kind of probably the questions that I would start with. And then once you're, once you're settled in on, you know, the, the, where you at, where you're at from that level, then it's moving on down. Okay. What are my biggest expenses? Can I, can I change, you know, any of those payroll is usually, like I mentioned before, payroll is typically one of the biggest expenses for a company, if not always the biggest, you know, you have so many things that go into payroll. Um, what type of benefits am I providing for, um, my employees? Uh, you know, I, I had lunch today with a good friend who, uh, we were talking about 401k plans and, and, and from a company perspective, you know, do, you know, those are decisions that you want to make. Do I want to offer a 401k plan? Do you want to provide that benefit for, you know, my, my employees, those are additional costs. And so. I think it's it's tackling, you know, going again back going to the vision and and the goal of the company of where where is it that you want to be? Are you okay with trying to minimize that bottom line or are you really trying to maximize that bottom line so you know, you can go out and get funding or you can go out and and get a, a multiple on EBITDA or or whatever it is. And so um there's just different ways I think that you can go about it. Um, but you know, asking those, those key questions, I think is crucial. I, I, I think this is where like, you've been such value to me, Jared, and just being open, you know, Jared and I were meeting this morning with your team and my team, we've been integrating build a trend, you know, mm-hmm. plug, plug, shameless plug there for build a trend, yeah. as well, but I mean, build a trend, we're, we're optimizing, utilizing like every aspect of build a trend now, everything we do from every corner of that system. I mean, it's been from accounting, yeah. financial to daily logs, you name it. And so all the communications go through build a trend now and it's valuable. Of course, there's always bumps and rows and road accounting system, but this is a major transfer. We change accounting software. We're, but essentially getting to the core of this, Jared, is where I found value is that as a business owner, to your point is where is the company's weakness, right? If, if retention is a weakness, okay, then like your lunch today, maybe we talk about 401k, what are different benefits and perks you offer employees to keep them and retain them on, you know, looking at the long-term goals and then you know, maybe you're not looking so much profitability as today, but where you're going in revenue, you know, as you're looking mm-hmm. at KPIs and different metrics to say, okay, if you're doing this much revenue, maybe there's an easy metric to say you should be doing, you know, 500,000 per employee or a million per employee, you know, depending on what their company is. And so I'd imagine you're just having these conversations like with me to say, what are your goals? Like what, what can I bring to you? And then now let's strategize and pinpoint and see, can we cut costs? Should we increase costs? Will that help? You know, is there a, multiplier here you may increase the cost but it could pay dividends down the road yeah no exactly i mean you know from my perspective i like to imagine what i would do you know typically if i i put myself again going back to my comment i put myself in uh, most of my client's shoes and that and i like to envision okay look if i was in their shoes this is what i would do and so typically when i bring up those type of scenarios with my clients i'll ask those questions well what is it that you want to accomplish here or what is it that you're trying to accomplish here? And then, you know, trying to now portray things in a way that helps them to understand, okay, this is what I have to do to be able to, to get there. But yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. So how hard has it been when I, you have a customer such as me that says, okay, Jared, thanks for joining the fold. 
we're going to change accounting software, we're changing banks, yeah. we're changing billing and AR, you know, walk through the complication behind the scenes to, you know, and, and, but it's proof it can be done that you're taking a company with our revenue. I'm not going to share revenue on here, of course, but for what it's worth, 27 employees, a lot of moving parts, a lot of complicated builds. We're moving midstream. We have some long projects they've been working on for a while that are crossing over. So just the complication to essentially turn this Titanic ship, you know, 180 degrees. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that goes into it and, and it, I would tell you there's a lot of time spent um, on the back end that I think you probably don't see but understand, you know, from my team's perspective, from your team's perspective as well. Um, you know, one of the great things I would say about um, about doing this in today's world is the use of software. You know how it is with with pieces. There's different, there's different types of software. There's, there's different you know, technologies that can be, um, relied upon and used to, I think, to make things work. Whereas in the past, it wasn't necessarily the case. And so that's one of the things that we draw on quite a bit from, from our side is using technology to our advantage to kind of bridge the gap of, Hey, you know, we can come in and help you do this for, you know, less than what it costs to have somebody employed. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to, you know, put into place, these different types of softwares we're going to put into place these procedures and processes and instead of typically having somebody on site maybe we're going to be there a couple hours a day or a week or whatever it is you know depending on the client we can kind of customize that but you know take builder trend for example you know an operational software that just allows you completely to to manage uh, your operations your jobs now it's okay that works great but now from a financial side how do i how do i make that into something that makes sense um how do i get financial statements how do i get my books ready for taxes and then how do i transfer all that and so that's where i think you know some of of the benefit from what we've been able to accomplish with you for example is to come in and say hey look we're going to sync this up we're going to use the software so that your team can just focus on operations be in builder trend, make sure the jobs are right, make sure the estimates, the budgets, the payment, everything is going in and is correct. And then on the accounting side or the back end, we're going to make sure that it's reflective of what you're doing from an operational side. And so then you can look at it and say, okay, look, everything ties out. I don't have all these questions. You know, builder trend says one thing, QuickBooks says another, you know, or whatever your system may be. Um, I think that's, you know, where we like to focus on. And I think probably some of the, the added value that we bring uh, with our expertise and knowledge uh, in accounting and processes and how systems work. Well, this goes back to the focus. You know, I, it's funny how when you mentioned your tagline, ask Sonoran Biz, business advisors, right? I think of it for me, when I meet with clients, the goal is that they're hiring a guide, right? So essentially mm -hmm. AFT with a guide, that's kind of how our website's built that when you hire us, you can focus on personal life, travel, your business, whatever you've done to make you successful as our client and let us, you know, manage that, this chaotic process. And essentially you're doing the same thing. Hey, you guys go focus on operations and what you do and we'll work on the back end. And, you know, what's interesting is we made this huge transition and over the first month, you know, there are a couple little things that were like, oh, we didn't think about this. You know, there's this, there's this. And so today's meeting was essentially just working through a couple little very, very minor kinks, right? That essentially is going to add a lot of clarity, but here we are in January or we're in February now, but, you know, early on the first quarter that we can make these changes and really be clear. And so with the end goal that I guess the easy application is, you know, the sports analogy is, you know, if we haven't, if, if you're going to run a marathon and you haven't been training for a long time and you go do that first run, I mean, feel like your lungs are going to explode. Your legs are tired. I mean, yeah. It's pretty exhausting if you haven't stayed in shape and you go run, you know, your first five miles. But over time, you know, it gets better and easier as you become more consistent. And I, I tell my team all the time, like, change is hard, but change is mandatory, right? And so they've bought into change knowing that, hey, it's going to be hard up front, just like getting out and running that first five miles. But it's going to be easier over time and it's going to make things much simpler process-wise, which means less painful points, less time exhausted, yeah more happiness at work, which bleeds into other parts of life. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, 
I, I like to think that's where we we kind of can come in and help, you know, and excel and, and say, hey, look, let us let us help you understand, you know, what we can do. And, and like I said, it can be it can be done in, in a variety of different ways. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree. Being able to adapt like that is, is just huge. How's your business evolved? You know, we've we've evolved, I think, into um, a number of different areas. I, I think per, personally, when I started Sonoran, it was very much uh, focused on fractional CFO consulting because, you know, personally, that's where I was and what I wanted to do. As we've been able to grow and as we've been able to take on more work and hire more people, um, I think we've evolved into finding that most of our clients need a variety of, of different things, um, whether it's, it's, you know, something that's evident when we're brought on or, you know, whether it's something that with that, you know, specific engagement or project evolves over time and, and they, they get more comfortable with us and they, they're able to say, okay, look, I trust these guys. And yeah, maybe I, I don't need to, you know, do this. And, and they recommended that we do something a certain way and, and let's try that and see how that works. And so um, just like our clients, I think we've involved, we've evolved into kind of providing, you know, somewhat of a, a, a C-suite fractional um, controller back office support for a lot of our clients to where it it helps them, to, you know, and, and there's, there's always different types of um, engagements and special projects that come up that, that I'll take a look at and that we'll consider. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's really evolved from, you know, originally just saying, Hey, look, we're fractional CFOs and this is what we do to now. We're truly kind of consultants that can come in and look at a business and say, this is what we think, you know, and maybe that starts up here at the fractional CFO side, but now we have these other tools that we can help you with and, and we can help provide to accomplish these other things that, that would make sense. Now, kind of diverting a little bit when you look at business development, because, you know, as, as you've grown and you have some talented personnel there with your company, where, where do these new clients come from? You know, how do you network? You know, a lot of what I do, um, a lot of the business that I've been able to kind of generate and bring in has been referral based mouth to mouth, you know, Hey, look, this is a buddy of mine. Um, you know, I love getting out on the golf course. You know, you and I have played golf a number of times, and I think that's probably where we actually ended up kind of discussing some of the needs that you were looking for. And so I, I love getting out and, and interacting with people. And, you know, a lot of times I think what happens is, at least from my perspective, there has to be some type of education on, you know, one, what is it that we provide and what is it that we do versus is there an actual need in my company for that? And how can I benefit from those services? And, you know, maybe it, it doesn't work for everyone, but, you know, are there areas where we could, we could come in and say, Hey, look, you don't need a CFO. You need a controller or maybe, maybe, Hey, look, um, yeah, you want to hire us, but you really need a CFO. You really need somebody full-time in-house helping you. And, and I would, and I tell you, I typically like to just give the best insight that I can for my clients. And so even if it's, Hey, look, Jared, we're, we're coming in and you know, we need help. We don't know what to do. We're interviewing people. I'll, I'll tell them, Hey, look, let, help, let us help you interview them. Let us help ask those questions. You know, we know a lot of the questions from, I think the financial side that can be asked in those interview um, in those interviews and in those processes that will just help you as a business owner down the road and making sure that you've hired the right person that can actually do what, you know, you're hiring them to do. And so, um, yeah. It is funny cause we met playing golf, which is true through a mutual friend, you know, hit it off. And it, I found that like with anything with sales, right. There's always these points of reference. There's these points of remembrance. I'll call it because, an example I always give when I think about marketing is I had a neighbor down the street from my house and 
all the time. Like they'd see my truck every day in my driveway, see him at the park, tell him I'm in construction. No idea. Like it never registered. We connect on LinkedIn and then they'd see my post and they're like, Brad, I, I totally understand what you do. When we build a house, we're going to hire you. Right. And essentially it's really understanding. Okay. Jared, here's what he does. Here's his operation. Here's his business. I had a need. I call you, you meet with it that week and the rest is history. And what's unique about your firm and what the value that you just gave, which I think is pretty unique is that, you know, many companies, well, one, you can service a really small startup company. You can service a, a really big company of 27 employees or more. So you kind of have this huge diversity of what you can handle, but even to the point where you're like, Hey, Brad, if you end up bringing this in house, I'm going to help you make that transition. And that's pretty rare. And it just speaks volumes of kind of your mentality that there's a mentality of abundance and growth as opposed to scarcity, which has allowed your business to, to flourish. And that's just my personal take being around entrepreneurs such as yourself that kind of have this, you know, long end goal as opposed to short sighted, Hey, I may lose this customer here, but they may, they're, they're in networks. They may talk to people. So I may help them hire a controller in house, but there's still opportunity down the road for me. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it, I think that attitude for me goes back. I remember, I don't know if you've ever read it. There's a book called the go-giver and great book. And, um, you know, it, it talks about an individual who, I mean, that's basically who he was. He was the connector. He was a guy who knew everybody. And if he couldn't help you, then, Hey, look, here's this guy, call him. I know this guy, he, he does my insurance, call him or, you know, whoever it is. So, I, I think I, I always liked that idea when I remember reading the book and thinking, you know, I love to be involved with all types of businesses. And, and if I can't help, then how can I one network and create, you know, a contact or a friend and help them in a way to maybe, you know, down the road, if they do ever need something from me, they know, Hey, look, I'll call Jared and, and, and the guys over at Snorin and, and they can kind of help out. But that's kind of, I guess you could say how I, I look at things. And, and I'm a big believer that, you know, eventually things will come back to you if, if it doesn't work out right now, as long as you kind of put in the, the effort and the work. And um, yeah, I mean. So what do you do for fun? Outside of golf. Uh, yeah, outside of golf. You know, I'm a big fly fisherman. I love fly fishing. Love getting out in nature, walking a river. Um, uh, grew up with my dad teaching me and my brothers uh, up in Wyoming in the summers, you know, on vacations. And, and that's one of my, I think, um, one of my uh, go-tos. Uh, I played basketball in high school, love basketball. Um don't play as much, getting a little bit older, had a couple of injuries. So kind of, um, steering more towards golf and, and, and fishing. But I, I, you know, I, I love going to my kids, sports activities and games, spending time with my family, um, going on dates with my, my wife, just, you know, all kinds of stuff. I would say, you know, being out. And I think I, I would say it's, it's usually some type of activity, whether it's a son's game or, you know, bike rides or whatever, um, that I'm looking to do, but yeah, all the above. That's awesome. So for those ice listening, I bet, yeah, yeah, you've gotten into the cold plunge. I will say, yeah. I mean, we're, we're like promoters on here, cold plunge. You've got me yeah. into, um, sleep eight, right. Yeah. We're here in Arizona. Yeah. yeah. It's so hot that you can have these pads and yeah. like keep you cold at night, which is nice. Yeah. No, that's great. That again, the go giver. That's Jared Westergaard, right? So yeah, there we go. <laughs> for, for those listening that are looking to look at a fractional CFO, looking at growing their business, consulting, you know, how can they reach you? Where can they find you? You know, our website, simplewarnbiz.com, is probably a great place to start. You can get on there, read a little bit about who we are, some of the different um, services that you know, in addition to what we've talked about today, provide, there's a contact form on there. You can reach out and we'll get in touch with you. Uh, my email is even great. Jared at sonoranbiz.com, J-A-R-E-D. That's, that's probably the easiest and quickest way to get a hold of us. But yeah, I mean, uh, look us up. We're most of, I think most of, you know, social media, uh, X, Instagram, Facebook, we have, contact points on there as well if you'd like to reach out but yeah i mean that's probably the easiest well jared you've been amazing appreciate sharing your insight and expertise and appreciate you helping me and our company make the transition we have incorporating build a trend i mean it's been pretty incredible so thank you 
course, Brad. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support and we'll see you next time.